This is episode 98 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled Productivity During a Pandemic. This is part of our series of daily or near daily uh, podcasts during the pandemic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I'm delighted to welcome back a guest to the show. Alex Pang was on uh, episode 91, where we talked about his book, Shorter, and the four-day work week. And I was interested in getting him to come back to talk to us about productivity during the pandemic. So, Alex, welcome back to the show. Well, thanks very much. It's good to be back with you. I'll tell the listeners a little bit about you. You're the founder of Strategy and Rest, which is a consultancy devoted to helping companies and individuals harness the power of rest to shorten our workdays while staying focused and productive. Uh, he's also the author of several books, uh, Shorter, which is the one we talked about before, about the four-day work week, Work Better, Smarter, and Less, uh, Rest uh, from a few years earlier, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less, and then a very interesting title for our topic today, The Distraction Addiction. <laughs> uh, he's toured all over the world, spoken everywhere. I won't go into more of his details. Very interesting background, has a PhD, and he's a futurist in Silicon Valley. So, Alex, <laughs> our world has changed since you and I last spoke. Yeah, it certainly feels that way. It definitely does to me. It feels uh, sort of surreal sometimes. So our world is very disrupted, and I'm wondering, for some of us, we may have la lost the good habits that we had for productivity. So how do we get back on track? The last couple weeks or so have been like being on a business trip, except the normal laws of gravity have been suspended. <laughs> You know, for many of us, particularly people who aren't accustomed to working a lot remotely or working from home, this can be a fairly disorienting period, right? We are, whether we know it or not, creatures who use our built environments, use spaces, use all kinds of external things to help us stay on track, to help us get work done. And when we're thrown out of those, it's re it can often be really difficult for us to figure out how to regain our footing. So I think that first off, you know, recognizing that this actually is a challenge, that mm -hmm. you know, despite what companies tell us about work now being you know, frictionless, borderless, transparent, always on whatever, it actually is a lot of work to figure out how to do our work in multiple locations mm -hmm. and how to make different locations work for us. I think the other thing that's important to keep in mind now is that you know, people need, we all need a sense of control in order to do good work. And you know, one of the things that we lack right now is a sense of control over, you know, what's going to happen over the next few weeks about 
you know, how we're going to be working, um, what's going to happen when things go back to something like normal. What is that normal going to look like? And I think that actually, in a sense, focusing on designing your working environment to help you be productive at home can not only help you get more done, but can also give you a greater sense of a kind of groundedness and psychological satisfaction. So it's mm. actually a win-win in that regard. So you know, I think that being proactive, being thoughtful and mindful about how we work at home is not just good for being more productive, it's also good for us in a more fundamental sense. And then as for what that means, it means experimenting with your physical setup, with your working hours, with how hard you focus at different times, and with the boundaries between working time and non-working time. We have a great opportunity now to play around with all of those things. And I think that's one of the good things that we can do to be productive immediately, to reassert a sense of control over our, our environments, and maybe to find ways of working that are better than or what we're familiar with and that we can continue in the future is to take a more kind of experimental approach to what we're doing and sort of to con and to consciously use this as an opportunity to develop new ways of working in new kinds of places. Yeah, I love the uh, the positive uh, perspective on this. So speaking of distractions, I think many people are struggling to focus. I hear a lot of people in my network saying, you know, I'm just so distracted by what's happening in the world. And uh, you've written about this. What advice do you have for us? Well, I think, you know, first off, let's recognize that, you know, offices, the conventional office is now a carnival of distraction, right? The open office plan and the fact that we carry our offices around now in our pockets means that we carry some of that with us, but also we rely on technologies to help us be productive that are also platforms for behavioral scientists to try and capture and resell our attention. <laughs> right. <laughs> and traction of news that is a con you know continuous source of either amazement or outrage and then when you're working at home i won't even mention kids pets social media netflix and sort of all of that mm -hmm. so it is a familiar challenge in a new place and i think that the you know basically it's essential first off to have to recognize how the hit distraction actually causes. Um, we often tend to think that we're really good at multitasking, but we're not. You're basically, human being, you're bad at multitasking. You're certainly worse at it than you think you are. <laughs> One of my favorite examples, favorite illustrations of this, is to simply to time yourself, counting from one to ten, to see how long that takes, and then to recite the first 10 letters of the alphabet, A to J, see how long that takes. And then try to alternate them, to multitask, to go A1, B2, C3, and on mm. to J10, and see how long that takes. And it turns out most of us can recite the first 10, first 10 letters of the alphabet or one and 
count from one to 10 in about a second and a half. However, when you combine those, when you try to alternate them, most people will, will need like eight or nine seconds if they don't trip over E something, you know, is that five or six? Um, mm -hmm. You know, these are two things that we have done a million times, right? We've been able to count to 10 probably since we were two years old. We've known our letters forever. But combine those two incredibly familiar things, and all of a sudden we're tripping over ourselves. And if you think that doing two familiar things is a challenge, you know, imagine the cognitive loss that that happens when you're on a conference call and you're trying to, you know, spreadsheet. Recognizing that multitasking is actually incredibly costly and incredibly counterproductive is the first thing. And then the second, I think, is developing good habits around monotasking. So these are relatively simple things like dealing with your email only at certain times of day. Mm -hmm. At home, don't have the TV on unless you're day trading stocks or you're a television journalist. Using apps that are designed to block out access to distracting websites, to social media at certain times of day can also be a useful technical reinforcement. But I think that, you know, recognize that when you are at home, that and if the full weight of figuring out how this stuff works falls to you is an important thing. The one other thing I would add is that my sense is that companies that are going virtual do so more effectively when they don't assume that everyone is going to be on Zoom or on Slack from nine to five. Mm -hmm. What they will do is they'll have particular periods for check-ins. Um, you might have when you leave the channel open so that people can see each other, you get that sense of presence, kind of co-presence, but there's not an expectation that you actually have to interact. It's sort of like sitting in you know, a cafe where everyone's working, but people aren't interrupting each other. Mm -hmm. Having that kind of collective practice is valuable for people for staying on track and also for reminding all of us that attention actually has this important social component. We often focus better when we're in the presence of other people who are also focusing. And doing that together can make us more focused and help us get more done, even if not interacting with others. You know, that's so interesting, isn't it? I worked for a while in a co-working space and it was just like you said, it's like being in a cafe, but everyone was working and it's almost like the atmosphere in there was just really conducive to productivity. I wrote most of my second book in mm -hmm. that room and yeah, it's remarkable. I also feel as though this distraction problem is especially hard for people who are feeling very isolated right now. Mm -hmm. And so yes. you don't have this community feeling of hey, we're all working together, or even we're all in this together, you know, and mm -hmm. you feel very alone. So it, yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon. One of the biggest lessons I have learned from companies that I've studied in Shorter, attention and focus have this really important social component to them. Mm -hmm. It's not just my eyes and the screen. Your ability to focus and get stuff done depends on my ability to respect your boundaries and your need to concentrate. 
and on our collective sense that everybody is in this together. We can work on the sort of connection between brain and screen on our own, but as important as that is, that's really not sufficient to get us really into flow, into focus. Consciously working, working out rules with your colleagues about you know, having short meetings at particular times, but at others, turning the channel off or being able to ignore it. And then at other times, having the channel open, but not having any obligation to interact in it. Just being able to see other people can be a useful discipline to teach everyone about the social dimension of attention in a way that will be really useful when we all come back into the office together. Yeah, it's fascinating. You have a digital publication about your morning routine, which I uh, purchased and really enjoyed. Are there some highlights from that that you uh, would share with us in this time of Corona? First off, routine is the critical word, right? That you are working in the super early morning or whether you're traveling or whether you're working at home, that having a routine is really foundational. And that's true whether you are you know, you've got a long to-do list of you know, sort of not terribly engaging or, you know, kind of deep work sorts of things that you've got to get through, or whether you're working on something highly creative. You know, we often think of creative work as something that is like sort of big, hairy, unpredictable, you know, driven by passion. But in fact, the most prolific creative people are ones who have the strongest routines. Right, like so, an Ernest Hemingway who's up writing every morning at 6 a.m., no matter how much rum he had 2 a.m. the night before. And so, for me, when I get up in the mornings, when I travel for work, I've got very well developed practices that are meant to both make most of my time and to try to maximize my own creativity. You know, when we're working from home, we've got incredibly short commutes, and so we have a little more time to spend on prep work that can help us be more productive when we, when we sit down to write. When I get up really early to write, and I'm talking about like 5 a.m. or so, mm -hmm. one of the most important things I do is set absolutely everything up the night before. So, you know, that is everything from the coffee maker and choosing the mug to setting out my clothes to choosing what stuff I'm going to be working on first thing when you know, I turn on the computer and start writing. Hmm. And what I'm doing here is two things. One is minimizing the number of decisions and the amount of energy I've got to spend on anything other than the task at hand. And that's important because, you know, at 5 a.m., I don't want to be having to make any kind of decision whatsoever. I don't want to spend energy on that. You know, the more I can just be on automatic the better. The second thing is that doing that prep work or the setting up actually kind of primes your mind to think about these problems that you're going to be approaching and sometimes to start working through solutions even before sort of overnight. During the night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, during the night. Yeah, there's a wonderful story that John Cleese 
tells. Hmm. John Cleese was one of the founding members of Monty Python for anyone who's, I guess at this point, under under 40 or not a nerd. <laughs> but you know, he talked about how when he first started writing comedy sketches um, in Cambridge, that he would be working on working on a bit and would get stuck with the punchline and would stop for the night, sleep on it. And the next morning he said, not only did he have the rest of the sketch, he couldn't remember what the problem was. Mm, wow. This for him was a great lesson in how the subconscious keeps working on outstanding problems, even when your conscious attention has moved elsewhere, or sometimes even when you're asleep. Another thing that I find is a useful practice is assigning your next task before a break. Mm-hmm. Or even better yet, stopping something in mid-sentence, if you can. Part of the reason that that is useful is that it prevents you, when you sit back down after a break, from having to figure out, okay, what am I going to do next? It's easier to just jump right back in. (laughs) You know, the final thing I would say is that being more thoughtful and more experimental about how you divide up your time is a really terrific discipline. Most of us find that we can work in a focused, concentrated manner for about 90 minutes at a time, max, before we need to get up, stretch, take a mental break, do something else for a little bit. Going for about 90 minutes or so and then breaking for, let's say, 20 minutes, doing something a little different, especially if you're on video conferencing where you're having to sit up straight and make sure that your you know your head is centered that's actually physically kind of challenging mm. getting a little rest from that is a great thing incorporating focused periods of work and breaks and also thinking a little bit about how you organize your day so that you focus on your most important work at the time when you're at your kind of creative and energetic peak which for most of us is the sort of mid and late morning and reserving other stuff on our to-do list for the afternoon is often a great way to divide up your day so that you're doing your most important work when you're best able to do it. For so many of us, when we're in the office, you get pulled into meetings, you get asked quick questions. Most of our days are not divided up into periods where we can really be heads down and a little antisocial and focus on our most important stuff. It's a little easier to do that at home. But again, the companies that I've looked at often will have these periods where they will say for the next two hours, Everyone is free to ignore the phones, ignore their emails, and kind of ignore each other unless there's an emergency so that we can all focus and we can all get our most important stuff done. But building that routine, I think, is really important for both developing more productive and more creative habits and also, again, going back to control giving us that sense of control over how we're spending our time so that we can proceed with both greater productivity, but also kind of greater confidence. I think a lot of us who are in quarantine now or shelter in place want to come out of this time with something big to show for, mm-hmm. for that period. 
is that realistic? And how do we avoid feeling disappointed that we didn't get more done? Um, you know, I would say be a little easier on yourself. This is all a lot harder than we re- than you know we realize. There's a kind of weird work from home FOMO or something that I've seen going around. You know, the sense that you should be phenomenally productive in, you know, sort of in this weird time. Hmm. You know, you see these stories circulating about how, you know, when he was quarantined, Isaac Newton invented <laughs> calculus. So what are you going to do? <laughs> right. Yeah. I actually, I have a PhD in history of science. Oh, right. I've done research in the archives in Cambridge. One of the things that I learned in my years of study was that Isaac Newton is a freak. Okay. Mm. He was one of the strangest individuals who ever lived. So let's not hold ourselves to the <laughs> Newton standard. The other important thing about Newton, of course, was that he was in isolation for close to two years. Mm. Um, he didn't have his boss calling him all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have video conferencing. He also didn't have kids. And so he really was able to just hole up in a room and do his thing and, you know, do it for like 20 months. So that's the bar that sort of that, uh, that the Newton story sets. But I think that even if you don't knock out as much stuff as you think you should have working in the office, that the things that you can learn about how to work, about how to organize your space, how to organize your day, those are things that could have a much longer and more sustainable payoff. Mm. If you, you know, basically, if you spend a lot of a lot of the quarantine catching up on Peaky Blinders and Altered Carbon, yeah, you might have to kind of, you know, sort of have a tough conversation with yourself. On the <laughs> other hand, if you spend this time figuring out how to work under these challenging circumstances, I call that a win. Mm-hmm. And I think we should be, you know, we should be happy with that. So as a futurist, what have you been thinking about how this pandemic might change the world of work? That's a really good question. I mean, I think, um, you know, a lot more of us know how to operate our webcams and <laughs> you know, microphones than we used to, uh-huh. but you know, I think there's so you know there are there are certain basic tech technical skills that maybe have diffused more widely. The next thing, though, I think is that my hope is that many of us will come back into the workplace with a greater degree of appre- appreciation and empathy for people who work remotely or who ask for flexible work. Right there has there is this enduring sense or suspicion that people who work from home are slackers. Mm. And I think one of the things that we are recognizing is that there's actually an awful lot of work that goes into working effectively at home and that the people and that people who are able to do it well, you know, whether they are, you know, working moms who have young kids, whether they are people who, you know, for various reasons um, are less able to commute or people who work on somewhat different schedules, that all of those folks, if they're able to, to do this well, 
are able to do a thing that maybe we as leaders and managers can recognize as a struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, and then finally and most broadly, I think that the this emergency has revealed that some of our assumptions about how we work, about how hard it is to change, and how fast we can change our habits turn out to be wrong. Um, In history of science, we have this term sort of opening up the black box. The idea being that, you know, a lot of what we take for granted or what we believe about the world are ideas or preconceptions that live in a sort of, uh, that we generally don't question. And there are some periods, some crises that open up the black box of our everyday beliefs and our tacit knowledge and give us an opportunity to ask, why is the world designed this way? Mm -hmm. How can we make it different? And I think whether it is asking questions about and challenging our conventional assumptions about flexible work, about globalization, about neoliberalism, I think a lot of our assumptions can be cracked open now. Mm. And I hope that we will be less likely to go back to business as usual and more likely to go back to a normal that is that is different and is a little better than what we had when we all started a shelter in place. Yeah, well, thank you again for your positive perspective on these topics. And before I let you go, uh, is there anything that you would like to share with the listeners, your website or where they can find your books? Sure. Um, uh, My website is uh, strategy.rest. Rest, very conveniently, is now a top-level domain. Oh, right. Yeah. So I was very lucky in that in that regard. And then as for finding the book, very interestingly, Amazon has stopped shipping books until late April. Oh, they have. Oh, I, I heard a rumor that they were going to do that, but I didn't actually see any evidence of it. Oh, I see. Yeah, I think April 21st or 22nd, because of course they're, you know, fulfilling like medical equipment and things like that. I see. So there were they there were there were more time sensitive things that they are that they are focused on delivering. But what that means is that you know if you want to find the book, then your local independent bookseller or pretty much any independent bookseller that's off that is uh, taking orders online and offering free shipping is the way to go. And, you know, we got a lot of time to read. So right. this is a perfect time to pick up the book and, you know, learn more about how to do all this yourself. Yeah. And that's the book shorter. Yes. Well, you know, also rest as well. But okay. I think that shorter has a lot in it about how people figure out how to redesign their work days yes. that may speak much more directly to the question of, you know, how do I make how do I redesign my day working at home so that I can actually get work done from home? Yeah. And I should say uh, that was the topic of the episode that I recorded with Alex. Uh, I think that episode came out in March. It was episode 91 and I highly recommend the book. It really is a very interesting read. So thank you for the work that you do, Alex, and for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, you bet, Jennifer. Anytime. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. 
During the pandemic, we'll be changing our format in honor of those who are quarantined or working on the front lines. We'll put out shorter shows on a daily or near daily basis early in the morning to start your day on a positive and interesting note. We'll be considering work-related issues relevant while COVID-19 is impacting the world. If you have a question or a comment or a message for our listeners, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website, discreteguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T-E, where you can also find other resources about working better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces, our work lives, and our lives in general. And thanks for listening. We look forward to returning to our old format when the world has returned to a more normal state. In the meantime, please hang in there, stay safe, and know that I care about you.